were listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Good morning, Sojourn. It is great to be here. I can't tell you how excited I am uh, to be here uh, for our family to be back after being overseas in the Middle East for about nine months. Uh, praise God. Uh, just to, I'm really excited to share uh, the Word of God and what the Lord has taught me uh, this, this week through this passage. And, uh, it, uh, you know, I was really excited when uh, Edward uh, gave me this passage, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, to preach on because it just intersects so well with uh, just the stuff that's on my heart to share and then some of our experiences this past nine months. Um, so, I just want to give you a glimpse of kind of, uh, of what we're going to talk about this morning. First, uh, you know, in this world today, the word missionary is a dirty word. It's, it's looked down upon as someone trying to go in and change somebody else's culture to say that you're wrong and I'm right. Uh, evangelism to Muslims is a sensitive topic, and the majority of the modern world would disagree that we should be seeking to convert from one cultural religion or one culture to another, and that Christian missionaries are evil. Regardless of our terminology or the perspective of the world, uh, world view today uh, out there, um, we have something uh, as believers that it is our responsibility to share. Uh, we have the keys to eternal life that God in his sovereignty has given us, has, used, has chosen to use us as weak vessels to be that instrument to send his message out. And that, that's something remarkable. Um, do you realize that you are the way that God wants to... You are how God wants to extend his grace to the nations. Uh, we are his chosen and humble instruments to take his uh, kingdom to the nations. And does this knowledge change the way you want to live and the way we should live and work and talk in our communities and nations? I believe it does. This goes back to our core belief that salvation comes from and through Christ alone. There is no other way to heaven, no other religion, no other way, just one very narrow path that was opened through the sacrifice and atonement of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So let's dive into the word again, this passage here. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Uh, sorry, this is Colossians 4, 2 through 6, if you need time to get there. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And if you wouldn't mind, just bow your heads with me and uh, pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for this opportunity to open your word with my brothers and sisters here and to share uh, what you've taught us and uh, what you have for us, Lord. Uh, we ask you to speak through your word uh, make us, uh, we've, we know you've called us, Lord, to this work, and uh, you've equipped us, Lord. Please uh, use us, this church here, to extend the gospel to our neighbors here in Fairfax and to the nations around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So pray. Uh, con continue steadfastly in prayer as we seek to honor the Lord and glorify him by declaring his gospel with the lost and the unreached. Let's consider an acronym that uh, I found useful. Uh, a dear a brother of mine, a fellow uh, like-minded worker 
in Southeast Asia uh, shared this with me once, and uh, I hope you find it useful uh, as well. The uh, acronym is PILE, Pray, Initiate, Listen, and Engage. So first thing we want to do is we want to pray for opportunities, for open doors to share the gospel. Pray, it's to, it says continue in prayer. Uh, when we read that, it means to continue doing something we've already been doing, right? To continue something, which I found convicting because I know I don't pray enough. I've been convicted of prayerlessness in my life. But put that behind you. Uh, the point is not to pile on extra things to do to weigh you down with guilt, but to remind you, to remind us that prayer is our lifeline, our connection to God. Um, that's where we get our power from. Let's become a people of prayer with a culture of prayer. Let's break out in prayer to our Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit spontaneously in a conversation with another believer. Let's not be a kind of people who says, well, I'll pray for you. But let's say, hey, let's pray right now. Okay, or let's just spontaneously be talking and say, so Heavenly Father, we pray for, you know, just it should be, he's here with us, right? When two or three are gathered in my name, there the Lord is. So let's not be ashamed of that. It may feel weird as we kind of do that, but it's not. And that's, uh, imagine the change it would bring. Let me give you an example of a praying community. Uh, the Moravians, anybody ever heard of the Moravians? A few of people. Uh, they were a Christian community in the 1700s. And they sent out many missionaries. They even had some of their own sell themselves into slavery to preach the gospel to plantation slaves in the Caribbean. As these folks sailed away from Copenhagen to the West Indies, they shouted out, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. Mind you, these Two men sold themselves into slavery. This devotion, this movement was founded in prayer. They had a hundred-year-long prayer meeting, 24-7, 365, 100 years. Uh, it was founded by Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, and he called uh, the prayer meeting Herrenhut, which means the Lord's Watch. The Moravians knew what it was like to continue steadfastly in prayer, and God used them mightily. Next, moving along in the verse, being watchful in it. What comes to mind is two ideas. One is, a, uh, is the idea of keeping watch, like a night guard. You know, someone who's committed uh, to the watch until he's properly relieved of duty. The other idea is one of a lookout, a sailor on a crow's nest looking for the first sight of land, or someone on a castle wall looking for a messenger to return with the news of a battle won. So that is what we're called to do, is to keep watchful in it with Keep watchful in our prayer to look for the answers that God has given to our prayers. And we must pray with the word of God open, being watchful to his response. And we must pray with thanksgiving as well. Thanksgiving truly is a perspective changer, isn't it? This can help us remove the obstacles in our life and our own lives that would present us from being ready to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. When we give thanks, we remember God's faithfulness in the past. Past? <laughs> And, his, uh, and, and we look forward with confident expectation to the future. And we give thanks primarily for the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. And the passage continues, at the same time, pray also for us. This is the Apostle Paul, the, the first evangelist, really, um, asking for prayer for himself and his missionary team. He knows the power comes from God, and he needs him to do the work. Because the work of saving souls is only one that God can accomplish 
See, 1 Corinthians 12, 3b says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And he prays for what? He prays that the door may be open for us for the word. I love this. When we were in Indonesia a decade ago, one of our teammates would go out two by two with one of his friends to share the gospel. And he would always pray for open doors, open mouth, and open hearts. Open doors, open mouth, and open hearts. If God has put it in your prayer to be an obedient vessel to share his good news, then make this a regular prayer of yours. I can attest to God's faithfulness to answer this simple prayer. Let me break it down a bit here. Open doors. This is an acknowledgement of the need for access to people who are lost or even unreached, who have not had adequate access to the gospel, and the need for opportunities for gospel conversations. Paul talks about his desire to stay in Ephesus in uh, his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, 9, saying, For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. It's kind of like, a, oh, by the way, there are many adversaries. But that didn't seem to bother Paul. An open door does not mean free from trouble, free from danger, or free from persecution. We're not called to safety, comfort, health, and wealth. Paul was more concerned about the open door than the adversaries. After praying for open doors, we pray for open mouths. That's prayer for us, so we can get, get beyond ourselves and speak the gospel. What does this mean? Paul asked for per- further prayer in Ephesians six nineteen. It seems like he is always asking for prayer. Maybe we should learn something from that. It's okay to ask each other for prayer, right? Uh, and he says, And pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We'll get to mystery a little bit later. It's a prayer for boldness, and we need to ask each other uh, to pray for boldness for us. And then, finally, it's a prayer for open hearts. Pray, pray for us to find the Lydias of the world out there. Lydia was a woman uh, talked about in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 4, and it says she was one of those, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So pray for open doors, open mouths, and open hearts. Open doors of opportunity, open mouths to boldly share the gospel, and open hearts to receive the gospel. All right, next we want to have open mouths to, uh, in the passage, Paul prays for open, uh, open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Let's talk about declaring the gospel. The good news of our salvation is rooted in the mystery of Christ, that the God-man would have to die for our sins and would rise again. Because this is not something you think about, think up on your own. None of us can go outside in beautiful nature and see the, the green trees and the cool blue sky in the spring <laughs> and say, wow, it looks like uh, there was a God who's holy and that he had to send his son to die for us and that I need to receive Jesus. Now, what you see in nature is called general revelation, and that shows us that there is a God because there's an intelligent design, but it's not enough information to save you. It's not enough to show you your sinfulness in a holy God. You see, uh, a mystery is, you know, when we think of mystery, we think of a murder mystery, you know, where, you know, it's a puzzle you solve, who done it, right? But when it's talking about mystery here, it's more of a secret, something kept close hold. Paul talks about this further in Romans 16, verses 25 to 26. He says, 
that this was kept secret, the mystery was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. What command is he talking about? Matthew 28, 18. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teach, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And then Paul continues, to bring about the obedience of faith. The mystery must be unveiled. It must be revealed. It was revealed to us, and we must reveal it to others. It was Paul's job and the Colossians' job to do that way back when, and it is our job to continue that today. Uh, oftentimes, I'll hear people say, share the gospel every day, and if necessary, use words. Um, that's good to share the love of Christ. I think that what the point of there, that phrase is that we need to share the love of Christ and serve others. But it's kind of like saying, I'm going to tell you a secret, and if necessary, I'm going to use words. Right? It doesn't, doesn't work. We have to speak. We have to speak out. But, passage continues, uh, Paul, on account of him sharing and declaring the mystery of Christ, uh, he's in prison. And uh, it might put you in prison for sharing the gospel. Maybe not here in America, but somewhere around the world. I know for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, uh, it, it comes at a great cost. Uh, and that's not for doing anything over and above what God called them to do. It's just to, to share the gospel. So it can be dangerous for our brothers and sisters receiving the message as well as those uh, proclaiming it. That, Pastor continues, Paul says, that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. Paul knew that he had to be clear. We need to learn how to share the gospel. We need to practice it with each other. Sometimes we might even need to memorize a script so we make sure we get the key points uh, so that we know how to uh, make it clear that God is holy, that man is a sinner, in need of a savior, that God sent Jesus to save us by living a perfect life, dying on the cross, and rising again. Jesus invites us to receive his free gift of forgiveness and to follow him as Lord. You know, we should never really stray too far from John 3.16. I know everybody, maybe everybody knows John 3.16, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life let's never outgrow that we can never outgrow that our faith rests on that uh, so passage continues walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of time uh, walking in wisdom toward outsiders means another translation talks about treading around as you're walking around walk towards them go towards the outsiders we must go to those outside the camp as it talks about in the scripture uh, we have been brought near to the, by the blood of Christ, but we must go out. We've, brought, we've been brought inside, but we must go out. When I hear about outsiders, I think about those who are outside of the family of God and who, unless something happens, they will remain outside forever. This is a sobering truth. We must follow our Lord's example, as I was talking about, going outside the camp. In the book of Hebrews, it says in chapter 13, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Again, we need that wisdom to see that what we see here in this city is not lasting. We're looking for the eternal city, for the eternal perspective. And we need that wisdom to walk wisely among those that are not believers, uh, is another way to, to say this. This means we can't just stay in our holy huddle. We have to get out into the world. We have to walk towards those who are outside of the family of God. But where do we get wisdom to do this? 
Where do we get wisdom? The book of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The book of James chapter 1 also says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he gives to all men generously. And we must walk towards them. As I uh, pray, initiate, listen, engage. We, we, have, we must initiate. God was the great initiator in sending his son. He has sent us. We must go towards others. It's sometimes just as easy as breaking the ice and starting a conversation. And the Holy Spirit does the rest. Uh, sometimes we just have to walk across that Starbucks or that college campus or Fairfax Corner. Or sometimes we have to get in a plane and go around the world. And that's maybe the initiating that has to happen there. When it talks about uh, walking in wisdom towards outsiders, the, w- the word for wisdom in, is Greek, in Greek is Sophia, and that's where we get the term sophisticated. The gospel is simple, but sometimes our approach towards each individual person has to be sophisticated and applied to them. Each person has their own special fingerprint. Uh, similarly, God has every one of his chosen ones on a unique journey to him. We honestly don't know where anyone is on their journey to Christ. We can't say no to them before even asking them or extending uh, the message of the gospel. I have uh, had the example of this uh, happening to me. It kind of blew me away. Um, when we were up over there in the Middle East, uh, we were hiking in Petra, um, visiting Kim, and uh, we had our family and then another family with us. And uh, Petra's up in the mountains, in the, in the desert, and so we'd hiked about five miles, uh, and I was with Hattie, and uh, it was just way hot and uh, we were all tired and the uh, one of the local Bedouin guys said hey do you want to rent a horse I'll take you the last two kilometers <laughs> we're like okay sure fine <laughs> and so I put Hattie on top of the horse and then I bought one of those uh, head turban scarfs things to keep the sun off my head and Hattie was hot too so I was like oh, Hattie you want to put the scarf on your head to keep the heat out of your head she's like okay so so there imagine there's Hattie on the horse with the scarf over her head I'm walking beside her, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is like Joseph and Mary on the horse. It's kind of had that visual image, you know, in the Middle East there. So, we, but the, on the other side of the horse was our guide, a Bedouin guy, and obviously a Muslim because of uh, where, we, where we were. And so I said, I, I said, how do you look like Mariam Om Isa, which in Arabic means Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so the guy says, oh, you're a Christian. Yes, I guess I'm a Christian, yes. He's like, oh, we have lots of in common. But, uh, and then he also, uh, conversation continues a little bit, and then out of the blue he says, hey, why did Jesus say on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) So you never know, like, if you just initiate that conversation, God may have brought them, you know, far along this way, and you're just the next chain of events. You know, you're watering that seed that was planted or planting more seed. So, So don't ever say no for someone else. So this is where, when, when we initiate, we need to listen for the uh, response of the person once we share that initial gospel message of John 3.16 or, or some other uh, way to say it. Uh, and then we also need to listen to the Holy Spirit who, who will give us discernment and wisdom, right? Because we're praying for wisdom and we trust that he's going to give us that wisdom. Uh, we pray for the wisdom to make the best use of the time as the passage continues. It talks about making the best use of time right? What are we currently doing with our pastime, with our weekends, with our nights, with our time at work, with our lunch breaks, with our coffee breaks? Are we pursuing merely temporary things like comfort, health, and security? Or do we see the infinite values of souls that that need to be redeemed? What are we doing with our vocation? 
maybe the best use of our time is to take that vocation to a place uh, that has more need of the gospel. Maybe that's around the world. Maybe that's in the Middle East. Uh, Each of us has a general call to evangelize. And God has brought the nations here to us in Fairfax. There are people who, from their home country, statistically have not had the opportunity to hear the gospel because of, of just the percentages. So go, go to them. So we pray for God to open up a door of opportunity. And we pray that uh, God would open up our mouths. And we pray that God open up people's hearts to receive that. Make the best use of your time. But again, it all starts with prayer, right? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, okay? Out of the overflow of that heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes into our heart will overflow into our speech. We have an awesome privilege here at Sojourn to hear the gospel presentation every Sunday. And we should also be filling our hearts with his word each week so that it just, it can't help but overflow. Your speech should be seasoned with salt. And this is about how, how we can start conversations. How can we initiate those conversations? Some ki- sometimes it's as cheesy as this. Hey, praise God for the rain. Maybe not this period of time, but <laughs> uh, I'll tell you how that conversation ended. It ended with uh, a Muslim man uh, with a New Testament in his language, and he said uh, it was a New Testament that had his language and the Greek, the Greek language next to it. And he said, oh no, this one hasn't been corrupted because it has the original language right here. So, and then he drove away in a taxi. I don't know what became of him, but, but you never know, okay? Just, just, just try, just walk across, just say something. Say something to the person sitting next to you in the subway. Okay, and another thing, you know, we need to press for a response. We need to say, hey, have you, have you heard this before? Uh, what do you think? Um, I have a good dear brother of mine who is a taxi evangelist or an Uber evangelist also, and he usually leaves people with uh, Proverbs that says, if you are wise, you are wise unto yourself. If you are a scoffer, you alone will bear it. He doesn't pull any punches when he leaves them that warning. So uh, another thing you can do is, uh, if English is not their native language, get them into the Word and say, hey, let me see your phone. Here, let me see your phone. Type in either Bible Gateway or some other app you can get their, uh, get, it in, get the Bible in Arabic or Urdu or Mandarin, and you pull up John 1 and say, hey, start reading here. Keep going. Tell me when you get to John 3. Did I say John 3? John 1? John 1? Anyway, so always be ready, all right? And then we must always have the word of Christ on our hearts and on our lips. Oftentimes, you'll start a conversation and uh, People want to come to agreement. People want to be peaceful, right? Uh, depending on how, you, if, you, if you start a gracious conversation, people want to continue a gracious conversation. Many Muslims will say, oh, we have much in common, and it's basically the same way. And there's a whole list of uh, things that we all agree upon. Many Muslims will say, to much to many Christians' surprise, we love Jesus. They're like, like, what? No, he's one of our prophets. Yeah, we basically believe the same thing. It is not a good idea at this point to be agreeable. Because if they continue in that belief, they're headed down the wrong path. They are not headed towards uh, the forgiveness of sin and eternal security in Christ. The chief issue you want to remind them is our sin and the forgiveness that we need in Christ. 
And we can be assured of that forgiveness through Christ. When you do have uh, many of these conversations, you will see there are many points of agreement. But it's the differences that are most important to our eternal salvation. Again, we must be gr- our speech must be gracious. We must have the love and grace of Christ fill us so that it overflows us. If we're not filling our tank with the grace of Christ, our speech will not overflow into gracious speech. Okay, and it says our f- speech must be uh, seasoned with salt. Salt was a preservative in the ancient world, right? We, we're hoping that our speech can have the preserving power to preserve someone's life, someone's eternal life, right? Okay, so and finally it talks about in the passage so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we pray, we initiate that conversation, we walk across the room, we listen for their response, their heartfelt need, and then we keep engaging with the gospel. We engage their objections with the gospel. Um, and, you know, a conversation, people don't think, oh, nobody's one with an argument. Nobody comes to Christ by an argument. God can use an argument or a debate to bring people to Christ. However, a debate is not a sport. It's not a game. Somebody's eternal life hangs in the balance. But again, God can use debate and deep study to bring people to himself. A former Muslim and Islamic scholar, after much study of the Quran and the Bible, came to this conclusion. If the innocent Jesus, who forgave and loved his crucifiers from the cross, was not the creator God himself, then the creator God himself is proven to be inferior to Jesus. And this cannot be. The creator God and Jesus are one and the same being. Later, after his conversion, Rabar wrote about his, this high Christology, which is the, the view of Christ, the study of Christ, was the best basis for fruitful dialogue. It is when I spent several weeks comparing the characters of Jesus and the Quranic Allah and came to know the superior, superiority of Jesus over Allah that my heart melted and I sought to touch the feet of the crucified Lord. Brothers and sisters, we serve a great Lord. Our Lord Jesus is better. He is not just a better prophet, but he is God himself. I think now we're ready to transition to a panel discussion. Is that right? We've got time? You mind lifting the pulpit? I do not mind. As we, as we live together, we get a chance to encourage each other, and now we've been given two resources of pile. Pray, initiate, listen, and engage. And so one of the things that we can ask each other is, have you piled this week? I know it sounds weird as I'm, as I'm articulating that. Pile it, on. Pile it on. How have you guys seen, particularly you, sister, how have you seen that play out for you, whether it be here or in the Middle East? So I will say that I have learned a lot from my husband. A couple years ago, uh, his family is really big into New Year's resolutions, and I'm not because it's just too much expectation that I'd have to live up to all year. So <laughs> I just skip the whole thing. But his family is totally into it. So his dad asked us uh, one New Year's Day, what are your New Year's resolutions? And I, my answer was to not make any resolutions. And his answer was, I'm going to share the gospel every day this year. And I'm going to pray that God would give me the opportunity to share the gospel every day. Not just uh, out of like some religious thing, but because I genuinely want to share the gospel every day. 
And the Lord answered that prayer, and he would come home with these crazy stories of how a tire blew out in a, in a slug car that he was riding home from D.C. in, and they were on the side of the road, and he had no choice but to share the gospel. Or, and I apologize if this is too graphic, but there was a woman who had irrit irritable bowel syndrome and had to pull over on the side of the road, and she had to go up the hill and use the bathroom and came back into this car absolutely mortified, and he got to share the love of Christ and, and just the gentleness of, hey, it's all good. Um, crazy stuff like that happening. You know, uh, an, a man from Afghanistan that he was buying things from uh, to eat and, and just incredible opportunities to share the gospel. And uh, so much so, I mean, he shared the gospel so much that when our boys would ride in the car with him, they would see him doing it. And I think it, it started out with, oh, here he goes again. But then I get in the car in a taxi in Bahrain with my son, Jedediah, who says, mom, mom, are you going to go? Am I going to go what? Are you going to ask him a question? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> are you going to ask him about Jesus? And then we end up sharing the gospel, and he ends up participating with me. And it's just been a beautiful opportunity to see that. Um, the other thing that I didn't anticipate is that our family has lended very well to um, sharing the gospel with others, whether here or overseas. And I'm just going to put them on the spot real fast. I think I have some of my six children here. If you guys could just stand up really fast, because some people might not know that you're mine. And... If you've noticed something, not all of them look like me. In fact, none of them look like me. But, um, but, but there's a reason. God grew our family through the gift of adoption. And uh, overseas in the Muslim world in Bahrain, it's been an incredible door that God has opened for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and it's also been an incredible opportunity for some people to be confronted with their prejudice. So, for example, we were in uh, Jordan visiting our dear sister, and, um, and some of her very good friends who knew that we had adopted and had followed us on Instagram before we even met her, we went and, and we met this woman, and she said, I know you adopted your children, and it is haram in our culture. And then she closed herself off to me. Didn't want to have any more conversation with me. Haram means it's uh, shameful. It's like really forbidden. And um, and so she was she was telling me that to give your family name to another child is not acceptable. Like it's good if you take care of them, but don't make them yours. Um, and so couple days later, after she's been hanging around with us, completely ignoring me and intentionally going to everybody else but me, one of my daughters came up to me crying because she was hurt, and I was kind of nursing her and, uh, you know, kissing her and telling her I loved her, and this woman bursts into tears sitting at the table next to me uh, at an iftar, and she touches my arm again, and she says, I understand. I understand, and I'm so sorry. And we've been thick as thieves ever since, and you should see what she writes me on Instagram. But it's been an incredible opportunity, just basic stuff, everyday stuff in your life. Um, our daughter, Hattie, if you haven't noticed, because she's pretty amazing, has quadriplegic cerebral palsy. When we adopted her, the doctors told us she would never sit up, she would never walk, she would never talk, and uh, probably never be able to really understand what we're saying. Well, God has completely destroyed all of those probabilities and has made her into this gorgeous young woman 
and made her an example to others. You know, um, in in the Muslim culture, especially in the, the Arab culture, the Middle Eastern culture, um, in general, Arabs are extremely welcoming. They have the gift of hospitality and community that would make you weep. I mean, we have, I mean, these are like serious community goals here. Um, and their houses aren't anything, you know, decorated. There's no pottery barn. There's no West Elm. There's nothing like that. You come into these houses and you sit down on these sofas that have probably been there for the past 150 years. And you are just, I mean, sitting there eating everything they can possibly give you. I think we, we gained like 10 pounds during, if, uh, during uh, Ramadan. So they're very welcoming. But one thing that they're just not um, open to are people with disabilities because for them it's still considered um, a curse or maybe a, a result of sin on one of the parents' parts. Um, people have, couples have been divorced. Women have been left alone taking care of children with disabilities because their husbands are so ashamed and embarrassed. Um, we had one family that we were introduced to who it, whose son is autistic and his name in Arabic is Khalifa which means royalty or prince. And it's a family name that every, every male child in this family, or every family has had a male child named Khalifa. So he was the firstborn male. They named him Khalifa. Uh, he's autistic. At age three, they decided they wanted to change his name because it was embarrassing to have his name Khalifa. Well, I had no idea that they were thinking of changing his name. I just knew him as Khalifa. And uh, pre homeschooling my children, I was a special needs teacher, and I worked with uh, autistic children, and I uh, provided ABA therapy for kids with autism. Now, I was a tourist in Bahrain, so I couldn't collect any money, and uh, this family was not very well off, so I offered my assistance in helping Khalifa. So I went over to the house twice a week, um, taught him sign language. Uh, he went from zero words to 56 words in three months just amazing. But every time I met with my friend, I shared with her how God had preordained that Khalifa be born and become or be born with autism, however you see it, and that, that God was going to use that for his glory in Khalifa's life and that God viewed him as royalty. And I said, I think it's so amazing that you named him Khalifa because let me explain to you how God views his children. And, and she just burst into tears and she said, we're thinking of changing his name. Well, they never changed his name. And um, she, it, we, it got to the point where I was coming over and reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible in English, and she was reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible in Arabic, because it's printed in Arabic. And she didn't really even care that I was giving the gospel to her son every time we would meet together. And it was just a beautiful picture of God's grace. Um, and then I'm going to, Edward's going to ask me what hang-ups we've had. Um, as far as sharing the gospel, what are like, you know, roadblocks or how, 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 you know, how, how can you prepare yourself <laughs> to, uh, to reach Muslims? You know, what kind of skills do you have to have? And I just have to tell you what you have to have to reach Muslims for Christ is a relationship 
that is solid with Jesus Christ, where you are a praying person and you are a person in the word and you are somebody who knows why you believe what you believe. Because crazy things will come up that will end up being an inroad to the gospel. Somebody told us years ago, uh, I think when we were in Indonesia, don't ever bring up the, you know, um, lots of Muslims say, I mean, I think I've heard it a thousand times in the past nine months, and I'm not exaggerating. We're the same. We believe the same things. And then they'll say something like, except for A, B, and C. We actually had some guy tell us we believe the same thing, but in the end times, our people will kill all the Christians. <laughs> Um, but right now, we really like you, <laughs> you know. Um, but what one of the things that they will say is, except for it was not Isaac that Abraham was going to sacrifice. It was Ishmael, because Ishmael is the chosen son of God for Abraham. What do you think of that? Well, then I had the opportunity to say, well, actually, I completely disagree. I think that it had to be Isaac that was sacrificed. Because if it wasn't Isaac that was sacrificed, then Jesus is not the son of God. Wait, what? How does that happen? How does that, how, how do those two things coincide? I remember when I was growing up, and even when we were in missionary training, we had a, um, a missionary that had been on the field for 20 years tell us, you know, um, what we learn from Abraham, and I've heard this in many sermons, and maybe you have too. What we learn from Abraham uh, being told to sacrifice Isaac is that God wants us to sacrifice what is most valuable to us. He wants us to give that to him, to put everything, all of our valuable things on the altar and let God use that. He wants us to stand just like Abraham with open arms saying, take whatever I have. And I think that's great. I think that's a great application. But what's missing there is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because God didn't stop Abraham from sacrificing Isaac just because Abraham was willing to give him Isaac. God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac because God had already made a commitment. He'd already made an oath. He had already made a covenant with Abraham. Does anybody know what that covenant was just by a show of hands? It's essential to our faith. It's foundational. So if you don't know it, let me tell you. When God uh, called Abraham to himself, he gave Abraham a dream. And he sacrificed an animal, right? The sacrifice for the sins. And he said, there will have to be a sacrifice, bloodshed, to forgive sins. He, he made a promise. I promise you that I will keep my commitment, my covenant with you. And if I don't, this covenant that I will make you a great nation. And essentially, that I will send a savior through this great nation. He said, if I don't keep my covenant, if you don't keep your covenant with me, I will be ripped apart. I will be torn to shreds. If I don't keep my covenant with you, I will be torn to shreds. I, I play this game with my kids all the time when they're trying to find something. Thank you. Um, I play this game with my kids. They'll say, Mom, I cannot find that. I've looked everywhere, and I just can't find it. And I'll say, okay, if I find it, you owe me $5. If you find it, you get to keep your $5. But if I find it, you owe me $5. And then, miraculously, they find it. The beautiful thing about God's covenant with Abraham is that there was no responsibility on Abraham's part. 
God said, I'm going to keep my covenant with you or I will be ripped to shreds. And if you can't live up to the covenant I'm making with you, if you can't honor me, if you can't obey me, if you can't live up to my expectations of you, I'll be ripped to shreds. I will keep both ends of the covenant. So when God didn't have Abraham sacrifice Isaac on the altar, it was to show Abraham that Isaac wasn't a good enough sacrifice, that everything that is a valuable, uh, a value to you, every, your very best, your most prized possession will not suffice. There is nothing you can give me, not even your son, not even your son, that will atone for or keep the covenant that I've made with you. And it was a beautiful thing because then generations down, now remember that God promised Abraham uh, that he would make Isaac a great nation. And there was no way for God to make Isaac a great nation if Isaac was going to die on that altar. So God kept his covenant with Abraham and also showed him something better is coming. Not only did he provide the ram instead of Isaac, but he ultimately provided the perfect sacrificial lamb of God. And so when Jesus was on that cross, he was torn to shreds because he is the son of God. And the only way that God could keep his covenant with man, with Abraham, because Muslims will all say that they are an Abrahamic faith. The only way for God to keep his covenant was to tear himself to shreds on that cross. And being able to talk with a Muslim about this haram conversation, because you know people say just do not mess with Ishmael, because their entire foundational, their entire foundation for their faith comes from Ishmael. It was a beautiful thing. And, and all of a sudden, this sweet woman is wanting to read God's word and find out more about Isaac. And then find out more about how God is, or how Jesus is the Son of God, the deity and the Lordship of Christ because he was torn to shreds on the cross. There's nothing else that can atone for our sins except for the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Sorry. No, thanks for the dialogue. No, it's awesome. No, it's awesome, girl. Amen. Amen. We'll figure out another time for you to talk. Okay. <laughs> I have it. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just have one more thing to say. Sorry. Just one more thing. Um, <laughs> practically speaking, you know, uh, the nations are at our door. Practically speaking, uh, you cannot walk through Fairfax. I mean, I dare you to walk through Fairfax, like, like be a part of the community here in Northern Virginia for one day without seeing a Muslim. And, and they are here and at your door. And if you can't figure out a way to engage them, just go hang out at Fairfax Corner any night of the week. I mean, any night of the week. If you have children, put them in swimsuits, take them to play in the fountain, and they will literally bump into Muslim children. If you don't have children, borrow some. <laughs> because you don't want to be that guy or that woman that's sitting there watching a whole bunch of kids play in a fountain. But... But another idea, whether yeah, you tweet that. <laughs> um, another idea, something that has uh, you know 
near and dear to my heart, obviously, because of my own children. Um, how many of you have ever thought, maybe someday I'll foster kids? Let's, let's think about putting that, that thought into action because do you know that uh, I received an email earlier this week from a woman named Megan at Northern Virginia Family Services asking if we're back from Bahrain yet, if we speak any Arabic, and if we wanted to become recertified to be foster parents because there are dozens of children that speak Arabic in foster care right now. Our good friend uh, just brought into, into her home um, a little baby, Pakistani baby, and is able to share the love of Christ with this tiny little premature baby. Came complete with a prayer rug. Birth mom gave a prayer, prayer rug. Uh, opportunity to share the gospel with birth mom and with baby. Um, and I will tell you, Christians, uh, two of my daughter's closest friends were the foster children of some of our closest friends. And actually, they're here today, and, and they told me I could give them a shout-out. Um, and I asked these ladies, Catherine even said I could mention her name. Um, I asked these ladies about their foster care experience, and they said they have a wonderful foster care experience. Like, they're not like the children that have this bitter foster care experience. I said, what was different? Because they had rough foster care experiences first time in care. I said, what, what was it about your, your time in care that made it so good? And they both said, without a doubt, what? They were Christian families that brought them in. So also, just think about that. Sorry. Are you good? <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm totally teasing. I'm totally teasing. No, it's, it's just incredible. So I, just as you're sitting there, what I'd love for you to do, we're about ready to prepare for communion. But what I'd love to do is as I opened up the service this morning, what is the Lord saying to you? I, I don't know what he's saying to you. What he's saying to me is he's saying, Edward, pray. Beseech the throne of God. Not only for the needs within our church, not only for the needs within my friends, not only for the needs within my family, but for the needs of those who are outside the fold of, of Christ's love. And then we need to pray more for each other and that we should have a common conversation of who are you seeking to share and to show the love of Christ with? God has brought the world to our doorstep. The most effective and efficient mission trip you can ever go on is just to open your front door and cross the street. So I don't know what God's stirring in your heart, but what I would do is before you jump up to take communion, what I'd love for you to do is just spend a moment and say, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this message? I pray at least a few of you leave with the greatest thing that I need to do is develop an ever deeper, passionate walk with Jesus Christ. I need to enjoy Christ more because he enjoys you already. I don't know, but what I want you to spend just a few moments doing is, is listening and saying, Spirit, please speak to me, because he's speaking, amen? He's speaking. Will you listen? And then in a few minutes, when the band gets back up and plays two songs instead of three, <laughs> we'll get back up and take communion. And what I want you to do is take a communion based upon... You guys are really playing into my ADD. <laughs> like, like, having a conversation through me. Well, no, no, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> well, were, were you trying to say something to me? Well, 
just because this, uh, this, this song, one song, the song that's that mediator. we're going to sing, Mediator, I guess kids are so sensitive to spiritual stuff, and there is some crazy spiritual warfare that goes on in the Middle East. And we were just in Bahrain for the first couple weeks, and we were down in, like, by the biggest mosque in Bahrain. And um, and out of the blue, out of nowhere, we're in the souk, which is like the traditional market in Bahrain, surrounded by Muslims and pigeons, too. And Timmy just started shouting at the top of his lungs, there is only one God. And he got through, there is only one God, and the call to prayer came on and started to drown him out. So he started shouting even louder, there is only one mediator. Sorry for my voice. but um, (laughs) And then he just went through the whole song. Like, I don't even, I mean, just from being in Sojourn and here, because we don't have that on our playlist, which we do now. But, I mean, just like amazing. So that's all. Amen. Okay. So as you prepare for communion. I'm going to go ahead and stand up so we, okay, no. (laughs) So just as you, so listen, what is the Spirit saying to you? But then as you get up and prepare to take communion, remember that it is, it was his transgressions. His blood washed away the filth of your sin. And so as you, as you see the bread being broken for you, one of, as you've heard me say numerous times, and I'm going to say it until the Lord brings me home. One of the greatest times in the life of our church is when, when I get a chance to hear over and over again, when bread is given, his body broken for you. And as you step over to take the cup, his blood was shed for you. There was a man who was fully God and fully man, as we heard, that has made a covenant with you through his shed blood. And so what I want you to do is just listen for the spirit, but then I also want you to remember God's covenantal love for you that was on display in the cross and he will not break his covenant with you. Yes and amen? Amen. So just take some moments and then get up and take communion. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. Go in peace.